Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I still remember everything like it happened yesterday. There she was, in her white sundress, standing on the edge of the sidewalk. Gray eyes cutting through the night air and straight into me. Cars and trucks sweeping past behind her, with the wind carrying her hair every which way, like oak trees in a storm. That sad, sad smile. I had just dumped her. It would be funny, she said sadly. It would be funny if we woke up in a few years and realized something. Realized what? I say. If you realize that what you felt about me can't happen again, that this is what love is like, and you walked away from it, she says. And then she is there, and then she is walking backwards. What are you doing? I say. Into the traffic. We could have had a good life together, she says. And then she's everywhere. I met Gigi at a lonely time when I just moved to Melbourne. I'd come from way out west from a small town a few kilometers from Bellarit. I had high hopes and dreams about making it as a highly paid engineer. And I had to go out into the concrete jungle to pull it off. But it's hard to make friends when you're in the middle of the city. Everyone's far too rushed, far too involved in their own lives to be human. I spent a good few months living alone without talking to anyone. My co-workers were just that. Co-workers. They were uninterested in mixing up their private and work lives. At some point, I had to admit to myself that I was lonely. And then she came along. She was a barista in one of those small laneway cafes scattered around the city. It was a beautiful day when I first saw her, with the floral bandana she used to hold her hair up. She was whipping up a couple of cappuccinos, her hands firmly set on the milk frother. How can I help you? She shouted over the loud hissing of the machine. A double espresso, thanks, I said as loudly as I could. What? She said. A double espresso, I said louder. She pushed a button to turn her frother off for a bit. It's called a doppio. I know, I know, but my boss insists that I tell everyone that. Why? I asked her. A coffee is a coffee. Yeah, well, she said. Stupid bosses are stupid bosses. An older man walked up behind her and pinched the skin on her waist hard. Irritated look on his face. He must be the boss, I thought. She squealed and wriggled out of the way and gave him a wink that said, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Then she flicked the frother back on and I could hear her laugh over the wearing of the machine. I started looking forward to visiting her after that. From then on, I walked up every day to her shop to steal a couple seconds of conversation before getting back to work. I slowly came to realize that she was hilarious and a little bit nuts 
exactly my kind of girl. Slowly, she eventually got to know me as well. She found out about the place where I came from, and she often made jokes about me being some country bumpkin. She would make fun of my clothes at times and tell me to change my wardrobe. I wouldn't make fun of her for being overbearingly hipster. Eventually, I started coming over for lunch and afternoon tea as well. On one night, after a long day of work, I found myself having tea on the corner of her shop just before the time they closed. It was just us in a cafe. I was slumped down on one of the tables, trying to will myself to stand up and walk home. She was wiping down the counters, and then she suddenly stopped. Screw this, she said. Long day, I replied. Yup, she said. Let's chill for a while. I can't handle this shit. She plugged her phone into the aux cable leading to the cafe sound system. Slumped against one of the old wooden chairs scattered around the shop. She closed her eyes, draped a towel over her face, and tilted her hair back. We sat like that for a while. Hey, I have an idea, I said. I turned down a dimmer on the store's tracking lights and turned the volume up on the sound system. I took my lighter out and lit one of the candle stubs that lay around the tables. See? Isn't this calming? She threw her head back, laughing heartily. It seems more seductive than calming. Are you trying to be romantic, Carl? She said. Maybe I am. Maybe I am. I said. Is it working? She curled her thin lips into a sly smile. Maybe. A little. It's corny as hell, but it's working a little. I linked in for a kiss. Things went really well after that. If only for a while. I ended up visiting her a little less as we spent some weekdays hanging out at her place. She had such a high-energy job that she spent the bulk of her time at home watching TV and getting high. For a few weeks, I started to look forward to the times when I would visit her place with a tub of ice cream and caramel popcorn. I would knock on her door with a bunch of flowers. Tranquils were always her favorite, and she would greet me with a light slap on the face and that wry smile. On some days, I'd want to come over, and she'd tell me that she needed her space. And that was fine. I respected that, and I liked having time to myself as well. But on most nights, we'd just sit and slump over her couches, our heads too fucked from the weed, watching bad TV until we passed out. On one of those nights, we were lying down in her bed while we waited for an episode of The Blacklist to load. It had been a solid 10 minutes since it stopped playing, but time is on a stasis when you're on pot. I put an arm around her, and she cuddled up next to me. Are you happy like this? She suddenly whispered. Like what? I replied. Like this, not doing anything, just chilling out, being lazy, willing out the hours. Don't guys like to do shit all the time? Yeah. I do like doing stuff, but I like to do whatever makes me happy, and you know what? This is making me happy right now. She giggled and gave me a light bite on my chest. You're such a cheese ball, Jesus. It hurts me sometimes. I laughed, and we held each other for a while. I could hear the car zip by the road next to her house, 
Tram bells ringing from a distance. The rapid clicking of a pedestrian walk sign. The mellow conversations of people walking by. Muted sounds filtering through our open bedroom window. You love me, don't you? She suddenly said. Like, I think it's a little obvious. You could say that, I replied. Well, I have baggage, she whispered. I could hear her voice almost snapping in half. I have a lot of baggage. Baggage you don't know about yet. I just want to know if you're going to be cool with that. I kissed her on the forehead. I think I'll be okay, Gigi. I think I can handle it. Love makes you do all sorts of crazy things. But one thing they don't tell you is that it makes you overestimate yourself. It's a bit like being drunk. You think you can make that jump if you tried hard enough. You think that maybe nothing can break you. You think you could maybe be invincible. But you're not. And I was like that for a while. Over time, she exposed a few parts of herself that she didn't let anyone see. It was the angry bouts of depression that hit me the most. She would go on for a whole day at times, slumped on the floor of her apartment, staring at the ceiling, almost catatonic with dread. She would play sad songs and curl up on the corner, and she wouldn't reply when I tried to talk to her. I would try to ply her with sweets and flowers, but she would sit there with her knees bent against her chin, unable to move. The next day, she would be fine and smiling. She would try to apologize in many different ways. She'd buy me lunch, ply me with sex, be a little more affectionate than usual. It was almost like she was buying her apologies with favors. I'm so fucking sorry about yesterday. How so lame, she'd say. Her words reeking of something sad and desperate, but trying to mask it with a smile. I'll make it up to you, okay? It's okay, Gigi, I'd say with a strained smile. I can handle it. I told you I'd handle it. One time, she was driving her car in one of the outer suburbs after a party. I was a little drunk, and so was she, but she was in a better state to get us home. We were slowly cruising through the back streets while I was nodding off. Suddenly, I felt a sharp swerve and I felt the car driving off the road. I opened my eyes. The bumper of the car was planted against the fences of a house. Pots of flowers broken against the hood. Gigi opened her door and quickly ran outside, sprinting towards the front of the car. She had forgotten to put it on park. I watched as he bent towards the mess of the posies and dark soil, crying. She clutched the broken branches and leaves close to her face and whispered, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She sobbed and sobbed, visible through the broken headlights. And I sat inside the car as I suddenly realized that she went to places where I couldn't reach her. I couldn't help her at all. I like to think that I did everything I could, but maybe I could have done more. There's an exhaustion that sets in when you're trying to pick somebody up from the ground. It's a kind of tiredness that makes you realize that caring has a cost. Making yourself responsible for someone else's happiness has a cost. But I tried. Maybe not my best, but I tried. She was fantastic when she was fine, but I sat with her for those long nights when she wasn't. When she was her old self, we'd hang out and sometimes I could pretend we were in that coffee shop again, bantering our way to get through the week. 
when she wasn't. I stayed awake with her, lying on the floor alongside her when she was too terrified of the world to move. Sometimes I came to resent that, and in a bout of selfishness on my side, I came to resent it more. The small part of me that was tired and sleepless grew and grew like a tumor on my side, and in a bout of crooked selfishness, I decided that I had to let go. I stilled myself with a couple whiskey shots from the bar next door. I had no illusions that what I was going to do was a good thing. I was abandoning someone. I was going to abandon her. I called her. She answered after two rings. Hey Carl, she said with a smile in her voice. You going to come over tonight? I miss you. Gigi, we need to talk. Listen. I've been doing some thinking and uh, I think I need a little space. <gasps> I just need some time to recharge, maybe a bit, you know? Things have been a bit intense lately. You said you'd be here for me. I just need a bit of time is all. You said you can handle it, Carl. You said you could handle it. Muffled sobs on the other end. Sorry, G. Turns out that I can't. After all, I'm so fucking sorry. The line was live for a while. We were on opposite ends of the call, both saying nothing, just taking it all in. I forced myself to listen as she tried to muffle herself, stop herself from crying. In a way, it was like all the other times I laid on the floor with her, but this was the last time. Okay. Okay, okay, I understand. But can you meet me one last time at least? You owe me my one last date? I said yes. And suddenly, there she was, in her white sundress, standing on the edge of the sidewalk. Gray eyes cutting through the night air and straight into me. Cars and trucks sweeped past behind her, with the wind carrying her hair every which way, like oak trees in a storm. That sad, sad smile. It'll be funny, she said sadly. It'll be funny if you woke up in a few years and realized something. Realize what? I said. If you realize that what you felt about me can't happen again. That this is what love is like. You walked away from it, she said. And then she walked backwards. What are you doing? I said into the traffic we could have had a good life together she said and then she was everywhere the rest is a blur of siren lights and police cars and ambulances and interviews and questions and family and phone calls and whatever else and it hurts to think about so i let it take over me and i let myself go numb i see myself walking forward but i'm not there she's not here She's everywhere, and she's gone. And then I'm taking a copy of her apartment keys, and I'm walking, but I don't want to. I do anyway. The lights are on, but no one's home, and I'm on automatic, and a part of me tries to replay what just happened. But everything just shuts down, and I unlatch the doors to our apartment, the same door that I hung outside with and waited with ice cream and flowers. 
and her. The place smells like she still lives here, and in here is everything that she owns. I stop remembering the bad times, and I remember only the highlights with her in the coffee shop, and the candles, and her laugh, and the caramel popcorn and making fun of me. And it's a wave I'm trying to hold back because I don't want to feel it when it comes, but it's coming anyway. I walk towards her bedroom. Her sheets are a mess. And it's not until I see what's on the bed that it all comes down. I realize that life is broken now and will always be. It was a pregnancy test with two bright red lines. My relationship has had a few problems. Before I say anything else, I want you to know that I love my girlfriend. When we first got together, it was heaven. It was a real whirlwind of romance, and within a couple of weeks, I knew that she was the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Of course, it's not been without its problems. I mean, she's very good looking, and when she goes out, she would attract a lot of male attention. Our first big fight was after about three weeks. We were at a club when she bumped into an old friend. She spent half of the night talking to him. I can tell you that I was annoyed. When we got back to my house, we had a big fight. But after that, it was better for a while. She would actively avoid talking to other men. She's sweet like that. Then we went over to her work's Christmas party. One of the guys she works with was really annoying me. He was there with his wife, but he seemed way too interested in my girlfriend for my liking. When we got home, we had another fight, and that time, it got physical. I was just so mad. She should have been treating me with more respect. She didn't stay that night and went back to her place. The next day, I sent her loads of texts, but she was being stubborn and didn't reply for ages. I think maybe she was a bit ashamed of the way she behaved at the party. Anyway, she said that she needed some space, but I think she was just still a bit mad. I told her I couldn't live without her and threatened to kill myself. She said she thought she needed a break, but she agreed that we could still text. She loves me and doesn't want anything bad to happen to me. I tried going around her place, but she's always out. I think maybe that she was having car problems or something. Because I would time it so that she wouldn't be at work. And her car would be there. But she was never in. I would try walking around the house and knocking on all the windows. I would peer in, but I never saw her. Sometimes during the night, when I was missing her, I would just sit outside her house in my car. It always made me feel better being close to her. I would text her all the time, but she's very busy and would hardly ever reply. In the end, I took to going to places where I knew that she would be. I saw her quite frequently in her local bar for a while. I don't know why she hangs around with the people she does. They would be quite rude to me. I guess she got fed up with them too because she stopped going. The last time I saw her, we had another fight. Honestly, our relationship is so 
volatile. I guess that just works for some couples, though. Then she completely ignored my texts. A relationship doesn't work if you have no communication. I would frequently check her Facebook and see what she was up to online. I mean, I love her. I'm really interested in what she does. It makes me feel so sad, though. Seeing her do all these things without me. Then this weekend, I could not believe what I was reading. She was in a relationship with some guy. I know that she's annoyed with me, but that's just low. I didn't have any choice. I might have loved her, but I could not let her get away with making me look like a fool. I hacked into her Facebook and her blog. It was so easy. She's really lovely, but like most people, she's very naive about passwords. Her middle name with a one on the end. Not too difficult to guess. I got into her email too. Sent one to her boss saying that she resigned. I never wanted her working there anyway. Oh, and I sent some really amusing messages to all her rude little fucking friends on Facebook. Finally, that got her attention. She ragged on me and boy was she mad. I didn't really mind though. At least we were talking again. It was just so good to hear her lovely voice. I woke up yesterday feeling great. I was so happy that our relationship was getting back on track. It occurred to me that we needed some quality time together though. I knew what time she was finishing work and I picked her up. As she walked to her car, she wasn't as happy to see me as I thought she would be. Apparently, her boss had gotten the email and she had to explain what happened. She was really embarrassed. I love her, but sometimes I don't think she sees the funny side of things. In the end, I had to shove her in the trunk of my car to get her to come with me. God, that sounds ridiculous saying that now. But you know, we all do crazy things in the heat of the moment. Anyway, when we got back, she was still furious, yelling at me and hitting me on the chest with her little fists. It was kind of adorable, and the sexual tension between us was palpable. I couldn't resist her, and I took her to bed. It was different than I remembered. She was really quiet. I guess this was just really intense for us both, being back together again. She even shed a few tears. After, I just held her in my arms, and neither of us really spoke. I was just so happy. This morning was really nice. She wasn't mad at me at all. She was really quiet, but I think she was probably just tired. I asked her if she loved me, and she said of course she did, and that we would be together always. But she needed to go to work. It's a shame how real life interrupts these moments of bliss. But we gotta pay our bills and I didn't mind letting her go, knowing that she would be back after work. I might go cook something nice for her when she comes in. Anyway, I just wanted to share my perspective. I think if you want something enough, you can make it happen. But relationships take work. I don't think any of these couples who have been together for years and years would tell you that it was all planned sailing. But I have to go now. 
I just saw a police car pull up outside my house and two officers get out, and they're coming up my path. I wonder what that could be about. I'm writing to tell you how I really feel. You probably didn't notice, but for the longest time, I've always been there for you. I want you to know what I've done, and I hope by me opening up to you like this, you will hopefully feel the same way for me, and we can be happy together forever. I remember when we were both 13, when you first transferred to my school. As soon as you walked in, I thought you were the most beautiful girl in the world. When your tranquil blue eyes crossed mine, even though it was for a brief moment, as you scanned across the strange spaces in the class, I knew I wanted to be with you forever. But I was heartbroken straight away when you paired off by some other guy to show you around the school. You didn't really notice me much. You were always with your group of friends who were so, so different to mine. Who am I kidding? I never really had any friends. The one thing that got me through all those years of loneliness was watching you, admiring everything you did. The way you gracefully went through your day without faults simply left me in awe day in and day out. As the years went by, you seemed pretty popular with both the guys and the girls. You were sought after by all the popular guys in the whole school, even by the older ones, but you shrugged them off. The girls loved how you looked after yourself. You always had your makeup and hair perfect, which made you admired, but hated. It's sad, but it's human nature to get jealous and we are all guilty of this crime. What they ended up doing, however, was far out of line. I saw as they pushed you when the teachers weren't looking. They would shove you into any nearby hard object, which more often than not was the wall. When you stumbled and slammed into the wall, the teachers would simply turn and say, watch where you're going, dear, and then go about their business, blissfully unaware of what actually happened. Witnessing it happening every other day burnt me up inside, seeing you have this torment for being better than them. It was painful to watch every time it happened. I hoped it would die down, but it got worse. I saw when the bullies would knock your drink over when you least expected it, just because the most popular guy asked you out. I was there when they set your bag on fire in the woodworks class because I thought you were condescending when you tried to help them with their work and I caught a glimpse of that one time when they actually threw you to the ground outside the school gates and kicked you until you cried, simply because you tried to tell the teacher about what they were doing. After that incident, they followed you home. Usually, they wouldn't do anything but yell abuse at you. The worst part was that you'd never know when they snap and suddenly attack you when walking inches away from your back. It tore me apart to see the girl I love feel so... vulnerable. I wanted to fix it. What I knew was that there were three main bullies that were consistent. I knew more, but they seemed to do it out of peer pressure. The main culprit was that narcissistic whore, Bethany. Beth was simply jealous of everything about you. All the things I mentioned that made you great burned her up inside. She used to be the centre of attention. Oh my god, did she love it. All the guys wanted to be with her. All the girls 
wanted to be her. The only difference is that abused this attention for personal gain. She sat with most of the guys who shared her in gifts or had their mummy and daddy to pay for everything. She only hung around with the girls whom she deemed lower than her. And she did this so there wouldn't be a threat to her god complex. But slowly, over the years of you being in school, she eventually lost her reputation. By then, all the attention was on you. The second who had a disgruntled grudge against you was that asshole Chris. He asked you to the school's annual dance in front of both his friends and yours, and you simply rejected him like many others. But what made his instance different was that he ran off crying because he was publicly embarrassed. In school, that meant a lot. He denied liking you and lost all his friends and reputation. So he took his frustrations out on who he thought had caused all of it. You. The last person was Julie. She had a bad for you ever since the guy she liked always talked about how amazing you were, was not paying her any attention. Even after she performed some, well, let's say, desperate deeds for him. During the last week of school, I knew they had something special planned for you. So I took it into my own hands to deal with it. Because I love you, and I didn't want your last few days at school to be ruined. The first person I convinced to not mess with you anymore was Chris. Now, he was much stronger than me, being into all the school sports. Plus, the steroids meant that I wouldn't be able to take him in a simple one-on-one fight. But in the end, that would be his downfall. I knew where he kept his steroids. It wasn't hard to figure out since our school security and reputation was so low. There was no need in hiding it. I got his locker combination by simply saying I forgot mine and the teacher gave me a list of everyone's combination. Yeah, that's right. They have no sense of security in this school. I cracked open his locker with ease, leaving no trace of it ever being opened. I found the next shot he was going to use and squirted a little bit out then pulled the plunge back to where it was, leaving a considerably sized air bubble. I figured Chris is no doctor, nor does he have any clue how everything works all together. He just injects himself and trains in the school gym. I bought a pass for the gym and pretended to train. He eventually came into the gym laughing hysterically with his new friends. Enjoy it while you can, it's not going to last long said a thought that crept into my head. He went to his locker and not long after he came out dressed in his training attire with a determined look on his face. He was ready to start. He was fine for a while but eventually slowed down. He had a puzzled look on his face as his body slowly gave up and eventually the cardiac arrest settled in and he was on the floor. People tried CPR there was no defibrillator around, since it was a school filled with teenagers. Who would expect a heart attack in a place like this? I smiled and walked out before the paramedics arrived. It was already too late for him. Working my way up the list, Julie was next. She was always jealous of the way every guy liked you. I silently slipped through her window without her noticing. I knew her parents were out. So if you made a noise, no one would immediately come to aid. I pounced on her while she was sleeping. 
pinning her down, I tied her hands to the bedpost and then her legs. I put out several jars from my bag, each one almost black. Upon closer inspection, you would see small movement. They were full of all the creepy crawlies that one would typically find in the bottom of anyone's garden. I took my time filling these up with every insect I could find. I wanted her to understand all the pain you must have felt all the time she was shouting abuse at you, hurting you, making you feel lower than you really are. I propped her mouth open with one of those plastic rings a dentist would use for a long procedure. I slowly poured each jar down her throat. Every time her screaming was muffled a little more by the buzzing and scuttling noises the bugs made as they adjusted to their new home. Tears streamed down her face as I repeated how all of this was for you. A few jars in and I could feel the bugs in her stomach, which is where I'd been sitting the whole time. By this time, she had pretty much passed out from the pain. When this happened, I'd wait, pour water on her face and slap her until she responded. For punishment, I'd take off the ring from her mouth and pour water down her throat making her swallow all the insects and causing them to go into a frenzy of panic. Eventually, during the fifth jar, the pain of all the insects burrowing into her internal organs plus all the internal bleeding caused her to pass away. But not peaceably, of course. I saved the worst until last. I had something special planned for Bethany. She was by far the worst you. She made your life a living hell. And this was unacceptable. No one as perfect as you should have ever had the displeasure of knowing these people, so I carefully set the pieces and waited. One day, I got a head start. I skipped the last class, but no one noticed. Not even the teacher. This shows how much I was noticed in school. By this time, I had memorized her route home and waited in an archway. I knew she'd walk past this area every time. I waited and thought about what I was going to do and how it was all for you. Although, I didn't have to think so much because I already had it all planned out. When I caught sight of her, I grabbed her and pulled her to the ground. She was kicking and screaming, but in this point in her journey, no one was ever around. The archway led to an abandoned Darrowlet church. I dragged her away from the path and to the building, so that no witness could intervene or find her body any time soon. I did my routine of securing her arms and legs to a post, so I knew there wouldn't be that much of a struggle. After that, I gagged her, for I knew she'd make a lot of noise for what I was about to do. I slowly pulled out my knife, making sure she caught sight of its shiny glimmer. I placed the point of it on her lower leg and smiled as she reached to the sharp point of the blade. I slowly pushed down, making sure the wound was clean as it slowly slipped into her flesh. It took a while, but eventually the knife's handle was touching her skin. I took my time pulling it out, making sure the wound did not rupture with that easily recognised crimson liquid. That would have meant her death. And that would be too easy. As soon as the tip of the knife exited her body, I immediately wrapped the splint up in a bandage, applying enough pressure to cut the bleeding down to a minimum. I then placed the knife a little higher up on her leg, doing the same thing. 
I stared into her eyes as she hopelessly watched me do this over and over, all over her body. After every stab, I would say a remark about how you didn't deserve what she did to you. Eventually, her whole body was nothing but red bandages. She was barely conscious, so I slipped the final blow to her heart. I can imagine you're screaming about now. In fact, I know you'll be, and I'll be close enough to hear it. And by you stopping, I know you've gotten this far into my letter, so I'll start making my way in. It's pretty easy to get into your house after the first few times. You probably thought it was your parents who left this note in your room in the first place. No, it was me. Don't be afraid of the noise downstairs. It's only me. Put down the phone. I know by now you've got it in your hand, but I've got the phone line. Don't bother calling your parents if you haven't done so already. I've already silenced them. You can stop your screaming now. I'm always right outside your door. Unlock it now, and soon it'll just be you and me, together forever. Lots of love, your secret admirer.